Hi, readers. This is Kari. This week, Alexis and I are proud to give you a special episode heard only by a select group of test listeners in 2019. The book we're featuring is a classic. No doubt many of you remember it from high school. When the show's over, please head over to Apple Podcasts and let us know what you thought. Without further ado, enjoy the show. Circa 1890, somewhere in the southeast of present-day Nigeria, a powerful man has built his life on the foundations of pride and fearlessness. Determined to be the exact opposite of his lazy father, he rules his world with an iron fist. Still, he cannot escape the plagues of time and change. His name is Okonkwo. The book is Things Fall Apart, and you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get it. And this is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Alexis, how you been? I'm tired. I know. I haven't no been tired. That. I am tired. Oh, okay. So it's not a past tense thing. This is what's happening right this minute. Okay, no, I can understand that. I mean, we just got back from the gas station where we were stranded for, oh, we'll say three hours because my car <laughs> wouldn't start. I, I mean, that'll make that you long. tired. Yeah. No, but I had work to do, so I could do work Okay, good. I was doing it. So it wasn't Thank it wasn't you. Oh, thank you for all. your kindness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about you? How was your week? I've been Is good. You know, I was straight up out the Crescent. I went to New Orleans, had oh, a lot of oysters, gosh. went to a bunch of bookstores um, that I want to share with you quickly. Okay. Well, how was the weather? Can I ask? That? Oh, the weather was great. It was perfect. It was in the 70s okay. range. So it was warm, but not so hot. You're like armpit sweating. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, so um, I went to Faulkner Books. That was my favorite, Faulkner House Books. Okay. And that's in like this little alley. It's called a Pirate's Alley. But anyway, um, they have great penguin covers. You know, the covers with the like intricate designs. Penguin does this great marketing thing where they take classics. The publishing company. Uh They take classics and like, Design them up for millennials that are all about aesthetics. Okay, okay. Yeah, so... Um, um, did you um, rep us while you were there? I wore a shirt, yeah. Did, mean, you did didn't you, see? Did you tell people So I it? wore our merchandise, which okay. is not available yet to the public. So it's like super exclusive. Like you heard of Gucci? Hello. More exclusive. Get and, with it, get into yeah, it. Yeah, and like the coolest mm-hmm. people in town wanted to take pictures of me. Hello. Mostly bookstore owners. Okay. But, you know, that was cool. So you'll That's see us we on, your, on their social media. Yeah. Okay, cool. I love it. Mm-hmm. What else you find? Uh, so Crescent City Books, Arcadian Books, and Dauphine Books. These are bookstores where it looked like um, a library threw up in them. I guess that's the thing in New Orleans. Really? <laughs> the books are like, oh, it would give you issues. It, it is like a hoarder, but someone who only um, hoards books. <laughs> And so the stores, I'll put them on our social media. No, it's not you. I'll put them on Uh the social media. But yeah, they're just not organized. And that's the the look they're going for. So that's on purpose. But wait, wait, wait. I can find a book, though. Uh, No, you can ask someone that works there to find the book for you because apparently they know where all the books are. Some of them are loosely organized. Okay. I'll say. And some of them are probably very organized. They just look like they're not. Okay. Because that's the thing. Okay. And then Frenchman Art and Books, which is in Frenchman Street, you know, the street with that's like 
bourbon, but for locals. Oh. And it's more like, yeah, like big bands. I need to go to that street because I went to bourbon. And I did I not need to it. be there. Mm-mm. We stayed on me. bourbon. What an idea. Why would you do that? I don't know. We stayed close to bourbon before, literally half a street away. And it was great. This time, I woke up at 3 a.m. one night to um, a parade. <laughs> Why would you stay <laughs> so on Bourbon I thought, Street? No, I've passed. My expiration date for staying on Bourbon Street was two years ago. So this is over. That's over for me. Um, from now on, I'm staying in the Garden District, and I don't even if I don't see Bourbon Street, it'd be great. I can't believe you did that. I know it was a bad decision. Wow. Okay. All right then. Well, you know what? Let's continue. That leads right into our. Um, I was so angry when I woke up at the drums <laughs> that that leads right into our discussion, our theme of the week. And readers, as you know, we choose a new theme each week, inspired by the book we're reading. This week, the theme is fear and violence. I wanted to discuss a study I found by Scott A. Bond in Psychology Today. Would you agree that um, violence and fear are often linked together? Would you like me to expound on this theory? Yeah, expound on it because okay. I can see it in, in cases. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this theory of GST or general strain theory, the key point is that there is a strong relationship between strain, anger, and crime. The more strain we have in our lives, the angrier we are, the more likely we are to commit crimes. So that's tied together. Mm. Anger, he argues, this is Dr. Robert Agnew, anger demands action and violence provides a cathartic release or response to that adrenaline fueled anger. So it's only violent crimes. Um, yeah, like, wait, what other crimes are there? <laughs> well, if I rob a bank, that's not necessarily violent. No, that's like, yeah. No, violent crimes specifically okay. are tied to the strain that we have in our life. And that's not a new theory. No, I, um, I But this is where not. it gets interesting. So in this regard, he says, think of anger as an intoxicant like alcohol. So once our minds are compromised or our um, ability to reason is compromised by alcohol. We'll do some terrible things possibly that we wouldn't normally do. Sure. Mm-hmm. Now in vino veritas. So I don't know if you would commit a violent crime just because you're drunk. You won't. Right? That's not a true statement. <laughs> right. Um, or um, sometimes people will say that alcohol brings out a person's true character. But consider that a majority of murders are committed by people who not only are under strains are already compromised mentally, but usually also under the influence of alcohol and drugs. So this is like oh, a double whammy. Yeah. So that a lot of people that commit crimes, not only have they had some alcohol, but they also have this strain of anger. Exactly. He brings up a few things specifically again with violent crimes, 90% male. Um, Also, a majority of these are committed by people who are under great strain in their life, great emotional anxiety. Don't they call those crimes of passion? Oh, very good. Yes. So the person who uh, the Ph.D. who wrote this article, Scott A. Bond, he argues that fear um, is actually the root of all anger. And so those crimes of passion, those sharp bursts where it's not premeditated, um, that's evidence that. Anger acts as a drug 
um, and a catalyst to violent crimes. Okay. So um, he went on to study a few um, extreme examples of violence and crime. And he says that violence as adults is largely a response to fear and resentment that were not resolved in childhood. I got to say this actually ties in with Feel the Fear. Mm -hmm. Oh, another book we read. Yeah, because she mentioned these three levels of fear Mm -hmm. and and fear I think it's the second level. It's just how we respond to things. Yes. And that's exactly what you're sounds like you're saying. I think so. And if we have the emotional intelligence to work through our emotions or if we harbor them, is that the right word? If we hold on to them mm-hmm. in a way where we aren't able to release this tension or mm-hmm. strain that they cause on us. Build up. Um, so. Yeah, violence as adults is largely a response to fear and resentment not resolved in childhood. In fact, the most violent adults not resolved um, in childhood. Yeah, the most violent adults he says that he ever met are those with tremendous underlining fears of rejection, inadequacy, failure and abandonment. So they feel like the world owes them something. It's Mm -hmm. a kind of twisted entitlement where because you experienced all this pain and you never processed it. Um, somebody has to pay the price Someone has to pay so what do we do with this information well there are uh, major ways to control our fear and anger and there's this theory out there by uh, dr professor d rose no he did not play for the bulls oh but um i don't agree with everything professor d rose teaches but there are four uh, keys to controlling our fear and anger that i wanted to share and get your thoughts okay Number one, study yourself. Truly sit down and think of the type of person I am. But what if you don't want to do that? I know. <laughs> then you're going to be angry and you might hurt somebody, especially you. <sighs> so pay attention to your reactions and behavior and ask people around you if they'll be honest to tell you what areas of your personality need work. You know, everybody so I thought maybe we could do this. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, I have a, I think people misread me Alexis, a lot of times. What time. areas of my personality could use some work? Patience. Yes. Mm-hmm. Especially since I need so much of it. <laughs> now I have to tell you at the gas station, a man asked me for money and I don't know if you remember, but I berated him to you in the car. Yes, you did. But then my car wouldn't start (laughs) and I, too, had to beg in a matter of minutes. Please, sir, may may I have some jump cables? Also, can you provide me with a jump? Because I don't know what's under that hood. Sir, sir, please don't walk away. Mm. Yeah, so. But mm -hmm. it did help a little bit. Yeah. Well, if you ask me, I'd say nothing. You're perfect. Number two. Stop it. Manage emotions during stressful situations by breathing correctly. I love this Mm -hmm. because it gives you time to think. There is a cooling off period. Those crimes of passion can never occur if you take a moment to breathe. Mm -hmm. Breathe in your nose, out your nose. And that sends a signal to your brain to calm down and relax so you may not want to do it but your body is almost forcing you not necessarily to be completely relaxed but to calm down a level or two oh yeah and when you're stressed i'll just not murder level stress but when you're stressed and you take a deep breath you can already 
start to feel the release. So I think that's a hundred percent great um, step. And then number three, channel your emotions. I love this too. Take the lessons learned during a negative experience and use them to create a new opportunity. Maybe you get terminated from a job or you quit a job because you don't love the setting, the circumstances, I should say, Mm -hmm. um, or the politics of the office. Were there skills that you learned in that environment that you can take to your next opportunity? Can you freelance with the skills that you learned, sharpen them, and then go on to another company if you want Mm -hmm. or develop your own thing? So use every experience, even especially actually negative experiences to create new opportunities for yourself. And I think that also goes in line with that fill the fear book that we totally put down, but continue to refer to. Yeah, I was just thinking about crazy. Still wouldn't recommend it, though. (laughs) We still ain't going to recommend it because it's too long saying what it's saying. Not going to do it. But it's I guess it's saying something. It's got some points. It's got some points. So, um, yeah, take power from right. that fear, <laughs> like, which is exactly what Susan ooh, said. Moving Susan on. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, transmute your emotions. Do you hmm. know what that means? No, please share. Do this. You, you, Alexis, are not a jealous person. You're also not a competitive person. <laughs> I think I got some jealousy in my bones. I wish. Okay. So, because there are times when I wanted you to just be a little more competitive. <laughs> like maybe if we were on the same team and you just won't do it. <laughs> but um, here's a, a tip. Okay. Okay. Smile literally at those who you see as competitors. Uh-huh. And I learn from them when possible. Now, Don Beach is out here jokering. Smile, but you know, smile. I think Susan had that part of her book. She was like, just smile. Okay. Yeah, because that also sends a signal to your brain. <laughs> and you might make a new friend who can actually teach you something. Mm-hmm. Learn from their skills. So, yeah, again, st- one, study yourself. Two, manage emotions during stressful situations by breathing correctly. Three, channel your emotions. And four, transmute your emotions and hopefully by using these four steps you won't kill nobody oh i love this because you know next month when it's that time i could kill somebody i was gonna say you mean monthly when it's that time yes now that is the time when i see you get really angry the rage i feel in fact i remember i made you miss this little flight to cuba and i felt like why are you so angry there'll be a flight tomorrow They fly to Cuba every day. Okay. Anyway. Rage issues. All right. Well, let's move on to things fall apart. All right. And we're back. Alexis, can you give us some background on Chinua Achebe? Yes. The author of Things Fall Apart? Yes, I can. Let me start by saying he was born November 16th, 1930. <laughs> That's very specific. Okay. <laughs> um, in an Igbo village. His father actually became Christian and he worked as a missionary teacher or for a missionary teacher oh, yeah, in I read that. Nigeria before returning to the village. Mm-hmm. As a student, Chinua immersed himself in Western literature and kind of had a turning point after he read Mr. Johnson, a 1939 novel set in Nigeria that was written by an Anglo-Irishman named Joyce Carey. 
um, the instructor actually praised that novel as being one of the best novels written about Africa and Chinua and his classmates completely. Like, this is disgusting. Yeah, exactly. He graduated from college in 1953. Um, he joined a generation of West African writers who in the 1950s were coming to the realization that Western literature was holding the continent captive. Mm. His first novel, Things Fall Apart, was published in 1958 when he was 28. The book became a classic of world literature. Look at you with the W words. Uh-huh. <laughs> it sold more than 10 million copies in 45 languages. Mm. It's even required as reading in high school, mm-hmm. although I never read it. It must have been before my Same, time. Same, although the inside of my book is marked property of Milwaukee Public Schools Whoa. to be returned at hey. the end of the school year. King High School. Oh, my goodness. That was a goodness. fun little surprise. I've been thieving since I was a baby. Oh, my goodness. Don't trust me around your stuff. That's problematic. You yeah. stole early and often. <laughs> Listen, he wrote Things Fall Apart in London longhand which means he wrote it all the way out. I know what longhand means. Oh, anyway, after returning to Nigeria to revise the manuscript, he mailed the only existing copy to a London typing service. Okay. And they misplaced it. (laughs) Of course, this stressed him out. I blame him. Yeah, it was discovered months later. Publishers initially passed on the manuscript doubting that African fiction would sell until a publishing company called Heinemann seized it as a work of brilliance. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. How do you deem that this entire continent's (laughs) writing? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Many, many countries. Right. No, no one's interested. Yeah, no one. And that's no one. Nobody. Right. Nobody. Got it. Okay. He taught at American universities and his writings um, included... But Villette can be published. <laughs> okay, go right. ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. His writings included novels, stories, poems, essays, memoirs that were rooted in the countryside and cities of his native Nigeria. He spoke of Africa not from a place of property and, right. and ownership. Right. Love a country. Yeah. In his writings and teachings, he sought to reclaim the continent from Western literature, which he felt had reduced it to an alien, barbaric, and frightening land devoid of its own art and culture. Mm -hmm. Things Fall Apart was inspired by the history of his own family. In 1990, after a car accident in Nigeria, he was left paralyzed from the waist down. He died at the age of 82. So, yeah, that's my um, background and story on um, Things Fall Apart and Chinua Achebe. Now that we have some context, thank you for that. Brilliantly put together. Can you give us a brief synopsis of the book, Things Fall Apart? Sure, glad to. And I like to keep them brief. This is the story (laughs) of Okonkwo's rise to a wealthy village leader. Yeah. Woo. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Through his story, we learn about the culture and customs of the Igbo people before the arrival of British colonial rule boo, boo, and the turmoil that it brings. So much turmoil. We're so tired. So that's brilliant. I love that. Can I have your first thoughts on it? 
yeah, in this book, I thought, yeah, I get to read this for real instead of like writing papers about it and never really reading it. So you have read this book more than once? I guess, but I don't remember feeling about a conquel what I felt this time I read it at my ripe old age of 22. Hey, 22. Uh, I can drink. Okay. <laughs> okay. Finally legal. But what did you think about it? What were your first thoughts? I don't read about the book. I just pick up the book and read it. You are not into reviews. You don't care what other people thought. You read a book and you go into it blind. Sometimes I, I feel like I'm I need to read a review. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I need to read a review. So what do you mean? I just got into this book and I was like, wait, 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 this is too much. <laughs> so soon. It's too much. Ah! You wish you had a warning. I wish I had a warning mm-hmm. and I didn't have the warning that I needed because it was filled with a lot of stuff that I don't do or get into or not interested in. Interesting. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let's move on. <clears throat> now that we have your first thoughts and you gave us that beautiful context on the author. Let's get into a deep dive of Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe. So part one, I'm going to break it up into three parts. It's a three part book. Cool. And we're going to talk about it. All righty. So we meet our protagonist, Okonkwo, right away in the book. He's described as being well known throughout the nine villages and beyond. He's gained fame from personal achievements. He's even described as being tall and huge with bushy eyebrows, a wide nose that gives him a severe look. They say he breathes so heavily that when he sleeps, his wives and children can hear him breathing. (laughs) They say that when he walks, he seems to walk on springs. Yeah, he has a hop in his step. Yes, he's going to pounce on somebody. My husband. It's terrifying. Is it really? No. Kind of. Does your funny. husband walk with a? Yeah, he is a hop. He walks like the world is a um, trampoline. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. He has a slight stammer. And if he can't get his words out quick enough, He'll you, you might get beat up. <laughs> yes. You might just get whooped. See, he has a fear of looking stupid. He does. He does. It's sad. Violence. Mm-hmm. And. He has no patience for unsuccessful men. As a young man of 18, he defeated the greatest wrestler who had um, for seven years remained unbeaten. And he was called Cat. And that's because his back would never touch the earth. His opponents. Yeah. Was called Cat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His opponent. So then we learn a little bit about his father, Anoka. I'm going to try these names, folks. Please bear with me. His father was described as lazy and improvident and quite incapable of thinking about tomorrow. Now, what did, how did you feel about his father after reading about him? I thought he liked some fun. I would right. totally hang out with his dad. I just wouldn't lend him money. Who's still lending him money? He people, owes everyone. <laughs> and yet people would say they weren't going to lend him money and they would continue. He'd somehow get them to lend him money. Because everyone liked him so much. Yeah, he seemed like a very fun character. But from what I understand, that's not that tribe. They're not into that. You need to work hard. And he wasn't working hard. That's what you understand from a conquel. However, his dad was still borrowing money every day. In fact, somebody really important came over to get their money back. (laughs) And he just laughed and laughed. And he said, you see this man? 
I owe him 10 times as much as I owe you. I'll pay him first. Okay. <laughs> you want a drink? And that man died with no title. Oh, yeah. Oh, he didn't care. He didn't care. <laughs> he didn't care. Mm-mm. Keep your title. I'm on party. Oconquo, fortunately, was not judged by his father's worth. He was judged by his own because he believed in hard work. And because of his hard work, he was a wealthy farmer. He had two barns full of yams. He had three wives. He had two titles. And he was one of the greatest men of his time. And young. He was like a wonderkin in the village. Yeah. He quickly, through hard work and perseverance, gained his titles and his prominence in the village at a young, relatively young age. Yeah. Well, let's talk about his personality a little bit. Oh, no. His his family lived in perpetual fear of him. Mm -hmm. His temper was fiery. It wasn't that he was cruel, they said, but he could be provoked pretty easily. One time he was provoked is because his third wife, the young one, she went out to get her hair did at her friend's house and she did not come back in time to make the meal, the afternoon meal. When he came back, he checked with the wife, one of the other wives, the first wife. And the first wife said, yeah, yeah, she took care of it. This but he woman, knew he was lying. This woman she was lying. went to get her hair done, <laughs> left her kids. Her kids were taken care of by another wife. He asked that wife, did my youngest wife ask you to take care of them kids? And the wife lied to cover the youngest wife's back. And said, yeah, yeah, she told me to feed them because um, she getting her hair braided. <laughs> And he was like, "Uh, uh-uh, y'all yeah, lying." Yeah, she got her hair braided, and he beat the mess out of her. Crazy wrong. One reason why it was wrong is because it was wrong, and the second reason why it was wrong is because it was during the week of peace. He didn't want to look. He was fearful of looking weak to everyone. He lived in fear of being compared to his father. Yep. And so this that great was a disrespect. Yeah. So this great disrespect from his wife made him fearful. To the point where he felt like I have to nip this in the bud immediately. And he thought to do that by beating her senseless. Also, we learned a little bit about a daughter that he had in Zima. Mm-hmm. She was 10 years old. He really liked her. He wished she was a boy all the time. Her only child, she was the only child of her mother. Her mother had eight miscarriages. Um, and some of these children lived to be like three or four. These were not miscarriages. These were children That's that died. Right. They do go into that in a little bit. I mean, detail. it's all painful, but to have a child for a few years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they call that something. What is it? Obanji? Yeah. They felt like the same child was being um, reincarnated into the next child. Yeah. And wanted to cause mischief. So they kept dying on purpose. Whew. Yeah. Someone from a Konku's tribe was murdered. A woman, a wife. Mm-hmm. And so to someone's wife. Yeah, someone's wife was murdered to um, satiate their desire for their form of um, justice. It was required that the person who murdered her, that tribe that that person is from, give a young boy and a virgin to the tribe who lost the wife. This young boy, his name is Akim Afune. He lived with them for three years. He was like an older brother to Akanku's own son. And Okonkwo felt like Akima Funa had a very positive impact on his son. He was strong. 
He was masculine. He was making his son a better yeah. son. He, better he gave son. him some confidence. Yep. He, he, they became close friends and yep. like brothers. Like this brothers. boy that was from the neighboring village, everyone loved him. Everyone loved him. Mm-hmm. Okonkwo loved him more than Okonkwo he loved his son. Okonkwo even loved him. Yeah. Yeah. And he treated him like a son. He treated him like he a son. He gave him sonly honor and allowed mm-hmm. him to do duties reserved for the son. And in no way did his other children feel slighted by this because they loved him too. Yeah, everybody loved him. In this three-year period, it was decided that the boy needed to die. The oracle or the prophetess of the, mm-hmm. the clan determined that the child should die. Also, the virgin was never seen again, so she probably was already dead. Akankwo was warned by one of the village elders don't don't get washed up in this. Don't go. Don't do nothing. Because don't the take boy calls you father. Yes, because the boy calls you father. Do not get involved. The next day, they take the boy out. They tell him they're going to take him back to his village. We still have a long way to go, he said. Then he and another man went before Kimifuna and set a faster pace. Thus the men of Amwafia pursued their way, armed with sheathed machetes, and Akimifuna, carrying a pot of palm wine on his head, walked in their midst. Although he had felt uneasy at first, he was not afraid now. Okonkwo walked behind him. He could hardly imagine that Okonkwo was not his real father. He'd never been fond of his real father, and at the end of three years, he had become very distant indeed. Mm, But his mother and his three-year-old sister, of course, she would not be three now, but six. Would he recognize her now? She must have grown quite big. How his mother would weep for joy and thank Okonkwo for having looked after him so well and for bringing him back. She would want to hear everything that had happened to him all these years. Could he remember them all? He would tell her about Noiwe and his mother and about the locusts. Then quite suddenly a thought came upon him. His mother might be dead. He tried in vain to force the thought out of his mind. Then he tried to settle the matter the way he used to settle such matters when he was a little boy. He still remembered the song. He sang it in his mind and walked to its beat. If the song ended on his right foot, his mother was alive. If it ended on his left, she was dead. No, not dead, but ill. It ended on the right. She was alive and well. He sang the song again and it ended on its left, but the second time did not count. The first voice gets to Chukwu, or God's house. That was a favorite saying of children. Ikimifuna felt like a child once more. It must be the thought of going home to his mother. One of the men behind him cleared his throat. Ikimifuna looked back, and the man growled at him to go on and not stand looking back. The way he said it sent cold fear down Ikimifuna's back. His hands trembled vaguely on the black pot he carried. Why had Akankwo withdrawn to the rear? Ikimifuna felt his legs melting under him, and he was afraid to look back. As the man who had cleared his throat drew up and raised his machete, Okonkwo looked away. He heard the blow. The pot fell and broke in the sand. He heard Akimifuna cry, My father, they have killed me! As he ran toward him, dazed with fear, Okonkwo drew his machete and cut him down. He was afraid of being thought weak. 
Okonkwo is affected by this. That may seem harsh. Oh, I'm going to cry. But he was very affected by this. He didn't eat for two days. (laughs) He just drank palm wine. His son is now afraid of him. He can't can't stand to be alone with him. This is deep. So he goes to his friend's house, kind of talk it off. He's trying to move past it. It was outside of the hunt. The harvesting season. So he had nothing to do with his hands. So all he could do is think. And that was terrifying him. That was terrifying. So he went, he goes over his friend Obirica's house and they have a chat. I cannot understand why you refuse to come with us to kill that boy. He asked Obirica because I did not want to. Obirica replied sharply. I had something better to do. You sound as if you question the authority and the decision of the oracle who said he should die. I do not. Why should I? But the oracle did not ask me to carry out its decision. But someone had to do it. If we were all afraid of blood, it would not be done. And what do you think the oracle would do then? You know very well, Okonkwo, that I am not afraid of blood. And if anyone tells you that I am, he is telling a lie. And let me tell you one thing, my friend. If I were you, I would have stayed at home. What you have done will not please the earth. It is the kind of action for which the goddess wipes out whole families. The earth cannot punish me for obeying her messenger, Okonkwo said. A child's fingers are not scalded by a piece of hot yam which its mother puts into its palm. That is true, Obirko agreed. But if the oracle said that my son should be killed, I would neither dispute it nor be the one to do it. All right. So that happened, right? Mm Kind of gave him a scolding a little bit, but Okonkwo wasn't trying to hear it because it was all a part of his. So I didn't feel like it was a scolding. Okonkwo asked him as if he had the right to ask him, why didn't you follow us when it was time to kill that boy? Mm hmm. Do you not um, obey the deities with as much fervor and zeal as I do? Mm-hmm. Okonkwo is a heretic when it comes to his oh, he gods. Is. He is. He is he everything. Believes. He is the opposite side of the coin that is represented by others at the end of this book. He he is a tra- he is definitely a traditionalist. Yes. And he believes in the customs and the God, all of that. To an extreme. To an extreme. He lives and dies by it, essentially. There is something Chinua put in here that I thought very illuminating as far as the Aconquo character is concerned. There is an older, respected man in the village that dies. Yep. The old man's first wife sees him dead. They call her into his hut. She sees him dead. And a few days later, she dies. Yes. So they can't bury him Mm -hmm. without burying her first. Yeah. And it is said in passing that that man would do nothing without first discussing it with his first wife. Yes. Okonkwo sees that, hears Hears that, and thinks this man that he once respected only a second ago must have been effeminate. Mm Mm-hmm must have been more than a woman to talk to women about the things you're going to do. This showed me that Okonkwo is an anomaly. He is an extreme, not an anomaly. He is an extreme in his own culture. Yeah. So context wise, 
every man in this village is not as misogynistic and as violent as a, a Conquo is because they're not as afraid as he is. He lives in fear of being compared to his father. Yeah. And that was so um, that was such a problem for him. His he hated those things about his father. Right. The his, laziness, the weakness. His father didn't leave him anything. Mm-hmm. And it's natural to leave your son something, a title, anything. And he didn't get any of so that. So that when his father died, he had to take care of his mother. Yes. His family, his siblings and develop land for himself and his future. Correct. Correct. He he had he worked. There was no food for his family. They right. were in poverty. Mm-hmm. They were in poverty and he had to work his way up from that. Yeah. Even with his father. So just moving on through the chapter, through the part, Okonkwo actually murders somebody by accident. So they were at a funeral of somebody great, old and great. And while they were doing some traditional farewell dance to his father, Okonkwo's gun goes off. Were they shooting guns in the air? I don't think so. But they I had think guns. They were. Well, I, I it said his gun had exploded and a piece of iron had pierced the boy's heart. Anyway, so the man who was they were burying, Okonkwo killed his son. Inadvertently. That caused him to be banished for seven years. He had to go back to the motherland. He had to flee from the clan. He had committed a crime against the earth goddess. And this was considered to be a female crime because it was inadvertent. He could return after seven years, but he had to go. So he collected his most valuable belongings. His friends came to console him. And before the cock crowed, Okonkwo and his family fled to his motherland by the next morning. So everything he had built up in that way fell apart. Yep. Things fall apart. the first time, yeah. Mm -hmm. The things are falling apart for Okonkwo. Yeah. Did you find something? Mm, It says guns fired the last salute and the canyon rent the sky. So there was some type of Gun salute? Yeah. So his friend Oberica, Oberica mourned his friend's calamity. Um, But he kind of helped out. He grabbed all his, um, well, actually a lot of people helped to get his yams. America seemed to be first. Yeah. Yeah. So part two, he's banished. When he leaves, they come in the next day, they burn up his house, destroy his animals, um, kill his animals and destroy his barn, all of that. To appease the earth god, I think. Mm -hmm. They had no hatred against Okonkwo. This was considered justice on the part of the earth goddess, they were merely the messengers. And so he went to his mother's homeland and he was met by his mother's youngest brother who happened to be the eldest surviving member of the family. His name was Uchendu. Uchendu. And Uchendu gave him a plot of ground for him to build his compound. He was able to, um, he gave him two or three pieces of land to farm on for the coming season. He was able to build his obi and three huts. The three huts were for his three wives. Um, he even installed his personal God and symbols of his departed fathers. And Okonkwo had to start from the beginning to kind of rebuild his wealth after things had fallen apart. But it, he didn't get the same pleasure this time. He was older. He was tired. It just didn't have the same feeling that it, it was had. bitter for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very bitter. It was a very different feeling. And Uchendo, Uchenda. His, his uncle, nephew, uh, uncle, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
he decided to give him a little pep talk. Now, everybody was there, the kinsmen, the daughters, sisters. Then listen to me, he said and cleared his throat. It's true that a child belongs to his father, but when a father beats his child, it seeks sympathy in its mother's hut. A man belongs to his fatherland when things are good and life is sweet. But when there is sorrow and bitterness, he finds refuge in his motherland. Your mother is there to protect you. She is buried there. And that is why we say that mother is supreme. Is it right that you, Okonkwo, should bring to your mother a heavy face and refuse to be comforted? Be careful or you may displease the dead. Your duty is to comfort your wives and children and take them back to your fatherland after seven years. But if you allow sorrow to weigh you down and kill you, they will all die in exile. He paused for a long while. These are now your kinsmen. He waved at his sons and daughters. You think you are the greatest sufferer in the world? Do you know that men are sometimes banished for life? Do you know that men sometimes lose all their yams and even their children? I had six wives once. I have none now except that young girl who knows not her right from her left. Do you know how many children I have buried? 22. I did not hang myself and I am still alive. If you think you are the greatest sufferer in the world, ask my daughter, Aquini how many twins she has born and thrown away. Have you not heard the song they sing when a woman dies? For whom is it well? For whom is it well? There is no one for whom it is well. I have no more to say to you. There's one point I want to say about Noye, Okonkwo's oldest son, who um, was close to Akimi Funa. We are given a glimpse into his mind when Okonkwo returns from killing Akin, Akin, mm. <laughs> Akime Funa. Thank you. Um, and the oldest son at that point feels something inside of himself kind of snap. Not to where he's losing his mind, but where a part of him is dying. And he feels that too when he passes twins in the evil forest. So this group of the, these villages believe that twins are a sign of evil. And so when a woman has twins, she must basically bury them alive, not covering them in dirt, but just leaving them in a forest. And so women who are predisposed to have multiple sets of twins are constantly just dumping their children into this forest. Mm -hmm. And you can hear the babies crying until they die. Yeah. They're considered a, an offense on the land and thus they must be destroyed. And if the clan does an exact punishment for this offense of the, these twins, the offense against the great goddess, her wrath could be loosed on all the land, not just the offender. So mm -hmm. they're, they're put into this so that's evil force. Community pressure to kill your children. Yeah, it's huge. So... Essentially, he told him, you're not the only one who's suffering, and this is not the worst. You actually have it pretty good. People yep. have had it worse. So put your lip back in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was his pep talk. So in the second year of his banishment, his friend Obirica came to visit and gave him money from the selling of his yams. He kind of keeps him abreast of the ongoings of Umufia. 
And he mentions the arrival of a white man to Abame. Abame? A neighboring clan. A neighboring village. Village, yeah. With the arrival of this white man, the oracle or this prophetess says that this strange man will come and break the clan up and spread destruction. So that meant they needed to kill him. And so they killed him. So the white people came back and they killed everybody except for the old, the sick, and a handful of men and women who they said whose chi was awake. Mm-hmm. And the chi was their personal God. And they weren't in the market that day because of that. Mm-hmm. So that happened. So that was like the beginning of the presence of white men in the area. And then two years later, Oberica comes back again to visit Okonkwo while he's banished. And then this time he brings more news. He's like, the, the white people are really here now. They got missionaries coming. They done built a church over here. And they got some converts. And the converts were not men of title. They were mostly um, people they considered worthless or empty men, probably lazies. Mm-hmm. And as part of this news, he said, you know who else was in there? Yo, son. Yo, son. So Okonkwo's son became Christian and went mm-hmm. to live with the missionaries. But Okonkwo was still a bani- banished in another land, in another village. And missionaries had already started coming there. Stories of the white man and his religion was gaining ground. But they also brought government with them. And this government was actually passing judgment on members of the clan. So the church, okay, like you said, the church is coming in, not just teaching its own, um, this, this faith from another land, but bringing in a set of government and enforcing government on the people on the who people live the there. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That is insane. <clears throat> and then as far as the church is concerned, they're going into the evil forest, getting the twins that are abandoned and raising them. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. Okay. They're g- regularly going into the evil forest where no one goes. But they built their church in the evil forest. But they too. built their church in there. So I'm wondering, like, are people just dumping their twins near the church? I know this is a fictional yeah. story, but um, amongst these converts are is a woman who keeps having twins and she's sick of dumping her children. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So they go into the forest, bring out these twins and start raising them. And then people who are outcasts in society, these are people who are who are like the untouchables of that village. So they have inherited this outcast status. Yeah. (laughs) These are people who can't shave their head. They probably smell. No one can talk to them. Yeah. And if they have children, it has to be with another outcast person. And their children are people who no one can talk to. And they're being converted into the church and accepted. And head shaved and yeah. Yeah. And they become the most zealous. Yes. So in part three, Okonkwo finishes his banishment. He returns home. He's ready to be a great man again. He's got all these plans. Mm -hmm. He, you know, his daughters are coming back the most beautiful. His um, sons are going to get titles, but nothing was as it was when he left. You can't go back home. They say go back home. Um, again, the church was there. The government was changing things. They were imposing their new government on the clan. It was, they were handling disputes, putting people to death. Um, 
the converts were no longer limited to lowborn people and outcasts. Worthy men were now converts. So Akonkwo felt strongly that these changes were taken away from the traditions and customs that he held dear. So the book concludes kind of with a big fight, if you will. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a guy named Enoch, he touched off this great conflict between the church and the clan. Enoch, what he did was he amassed this spirit in public. So the um, Igwugu were masqueraders who impersonated an ancestral spirit of yeah. the village. And they were revered throughout the village. They also held court. Um, so if there was a dispute, um, they would be the ones to settle it. And they were treated as if they were the spirit of the ancestors, these masquerades, masquerading individuals. Well, this Enoch guy, he unmasked one. And that is like the worst thing That's you like could do. That's like killing a spirit. That is like killing the spirit. It's the worst thing you could do. The clan told them that they had to go. The church refused to go. They were protecting Enoch and they wanted to really take Enoch out. But it was like, really, it's not about Enoch, but I'm, we're sick of y'all. Y'all got to go. And the church said, we're not going. So they ended up burning the church down. Okonkwo was like, "Woo! finally, we're standing up for ourselves. We're not going to put up with these crazies. Well, after the church burned down, nothing really happened for a few days. But the men of Umafia, Umufia, were walking around with their guns machetes and machetes. And, mm-hmm. Yep. Ready for battle. Ready for battle. So then this guy that's called the district commissioner, I guess he was the leader, but he was touring, maybe proselytizing. He to me sounded like a viceroy, like his um, his position was not so much religious as it was legislative. So he was part of that government. He was. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he enforced the government that came with this new, you know, you send the missionaries first to soften the people up and then you come and you enforce your Mm -hmm. law on them. Mm-hmm. So he came in. He was like, hey, hey, let's talk about what happened. Now, I know what happened, but I want to hear from you guys. Why don't y'all come and meet with us and kind of tell us? So they bring them all to a meeting at the, the government. The respected meeting. men of the village yeah. go to this meeting. Okonkwo is one of those men. They make sure they bring their knife, their machetes with them. Okay. It happened so quickly that the six men did not see it coming. There was only a brief scuffle, too brief even to allow the drawing of a sheath machete. The six men were handcuffed and led into the guard room. We shall not do you any harm, said the district commissioner to them later. If only you agreed to cooperate with us. We have brought a peaceful administration to you and your people so that you may be happy. If any man entreats you, we shall come to your rescue, but we shall not allow you to ill-treat others. We have a court of law where we judge such cases and administer justice just as it is done in my own country under a great queen. I have brought you here because you join together to molest others, to burn people's houses and their places of worship. That must not happen in the dominion of our queen the most powerful ruler in the world. I have decided that you will pay a fine of 200 bags of calories. You will be released as soon as you agree to this and undertake to collect that fine from your people. What do you say to that? The six men remained sullen and silent and the commissioner left them for a while. 
he told the court messengers when he left the guard room to treat the men with respect because they were leaders of Morphia. They said, yes, sir, and saluted. As soon as the district commissioner left, the head messenger, who was also the prisoner's barber, took down his razor and shaved off the hair on the men's heads. They were still handcuffed and they just sat and moped. Who is the chief among you? The court messengers asked in jest. We see that every pauper wears the anklet of a title in a morphia. Does it count as much as 10 calories? The six men ate nothing throughout that day and the next. They were not even given any water to drink and they could not go out to urinate or go into the bush when they were pressed. At night, the messengers came in to taunt them and to knock their shaven heads together. Even when the men were left alone, they found no words to speak to one another. It was only on the third day when they could no longer bear the hunger and the insults that they began to talk about giving in. We should have killed the white man if you had listened to me, Okonkwo snarled. We could have been an Umuru now waiting to be hanged, someone said to him. Who wants to kill the white man? asked a messenger who had just rushed in. Nobody spoke. You are not satisfied with your crime, but you must kill the white man on top of it? He carried a strong stick and he hit each man a few blows on the head and back. Okonkwo was choked with hate. As soon as the six men were locked up, court messengers went to Morphia to tell the people that their leaders would not be released unless they paid a finer 250 bags of calories. The money is paid once the, the clan finds out this money is owed. They come back, they pay it. The men are released. After the release, the men who were held, the clan members that were held, they get together. They're talking about, they're like, this is, we're not going to stand for this. We don't like it. We need to act. They're having this other meeting in the morning, right? They're ready. They're speaking their mind. They're complaining about what is going on. And this is a meeting with the entire village. And it sounds like to Okonkwo's mind that they're finally getting it. Yes. And they're going to form an army, go in there and kill everybody that don't belong. Mm -hmm. And as they're discussing this, these changes or what they want to happen, five messengers arrive. Okonkwo springs to his feet as soon as he saw who it is, who it was. And one of the messengers pushed through and he says, the white man whose power you know all too well has ordered this meeting to stop. Okonkwo turns around. He just, on pure reaction, turns around with his machete and cuts the man's head off with two swipes. The that was other built man built up fear and anger. Mm -hmm. The other men ran. The other guys that came with him ran. But the clan doesn't react the way Okonkwo wants them to react. They, they don't react. And they're whispering to each other, why did he do that? Yeah, they're just in tumult. They're not doing what they think he should do. So he wipes he his machete uh -huh. on the sand and he went away. The next day, the district commissioner arrives. And they're looking for Okonkwo. They're at his home. They're like, well, he's not here. The, they're met by the leading men of the village, mm -hmm. but not Okonkwo. And they say, we can take you to where he is and perhaps your men can help us. So they take the man to the tree where Okonkwo's body was dangling. 
he's committed suicide. The end. Let's take a quick break. Okay. Oh, wow. On that note, okie (laughs) dokie. Welcome back. Kari? Yes. So, that was it. That was Things Fall Apart. Oh, boy. What's your final verdict, and would you recommend this book? Is this the book I read in high school? Because, listen, I remember reading this and thinking, ooh, Unconquo is a jerk. I'm not reading this. And then maybe I did eventually read it, but I never sympathized with our protagonist. This time... There was nothing he could do, no matter how many people he beat, no matter how many people he killed. I saw his humanity. And now he had. Yes, I really um, sympathized with this man who lived his life in fear. Everything he did was motivated by fear. And he built up this reputation for himself as being the strongest and the bravest. But it was clear, and I don't know if this was, because I feel like the women and his wives understood. They treated him to me in a, in a, with almost a childlike delicacy. It, they didn't seem terrified of him to me. Okay. When he um, sh- tried to shoot his favorite daughter's mom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he threatened her. Yeah, he did. And she yeah. made some comment about guns that don't shoot. Yes. <laughs> she was real slick mouth right there. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he tried to shoot her. She, was, she, to me, didn't seem scared of him. This was a tyrant. We may not agree with everything that this, everything that they practiced mm-hmm. or their views or even their actions. We especially don't agree with Okonkwo's misogyny or his violent ways. However, we have context here, which I think is a huge tribute to the author, where you don't see two different types of people. You see people. I see in this book, not right and wrong. I see just people. Because when these white men come in with their new government, misogyny doesn't die. Violence doesn't die. It just is reborn in a different culture. You know, so um, I read some reviews on Goodreads and some people found it hard to sympathize with the protagonist. And instead, they found themselves rooting for the colonizers. How is that true when you know how the story ends in real life? Yeah. So whatever negative qualities disgusted you about a conquo, they don't die with a conquo. No, no. They just picked up a different form, just like you said. So for me, this time reading this book, I got so much out of it. And I was so delighted to see how I could sympathize with this anti-hero. And when he killed himself at the end, it was I didn't feel like, man, I wish he hadn't done that. I just felt like and that's how it ends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understood. Mm -hmm. I felt like so would I recommend this book. There were aspects of it that um, I cannot in good conscience, recommend to everyone. But I do enjoy the fact that this is required reading in high school because you do not get this type of well-rounded, flushed-out story about African culture that is not from the side of um, a group of people who 
consider themselves owners to a property mm-hmm. who don't see Africa as a pie to slice and um, devour at will. So I was happy to read something that really humanized the, the millions and millions of people that live. I mean, this isn't even about Africa. This right. is about a certain section of what is currently Nigeria. Yeah. So um, would I recommend it? Overall, yes. And I really loved it. Yeah. And I got a lot out of it that I didn't get as a child in my old age of 23. Wait, what did I say? 22. 22. You're However 22. old I am, I appreciate What did you think? What? What, what did you think of this book and would you recommend it, Alexis? Okay, let me just say I did appreciate learning about the culture and even hearing about their beliefs. It's a fiction story, but it's based in truth, right? And I liked how they introduced all the culture. Um, as, but as the story went on and, and the things that he did, I was like, Man, he is really violent. He don't like women. But I remember they said at the beginning he wasn't cruel. So that's why I can appreciate what you said about him not um, they they didn't they weren't afraid of him. Even though it does say it in the book, there was they were walking on eggshells around him. I can appreciate what you said because he wasn't a cruel person. So he wasn't just doing things for the sake of being thing. He was he was in line with his tradition. This is what he had grown up and known to be the custom so everybody was practically on board with that. And even with the introduction of the the missionaries, I not one ounce of sympathy for them. I hated their arrival. I was disgusted by their behavior, how they treated them and how they felt like their belief system was superior to theirs. I hated every bit of it. I couldn't wait for them to be gone out of the book, but the, yet they remained. And that's the story continues. You should read something called um, History. <laughs> you, would, you would really hate it. I, I would. I would really hate it. Um, yeah. So would I recommend it? I don't know. I <laughs> There are certain aspects of this book I just couldn't get with. And that was difficult for me to read, mm-hmm. read those. So I couldn't do that. I couldn't recommend this to everybody. Kind of like you said there. Uh, I couldn't recommend this to everybody but I liked hearing that story and I don't mm-hmm. know where I would get it from. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Ooh. And then the second, like I'd be interested, th- this was a trilogy. I would be interested to read part two and part three of this. I forgot this was a trilogy. Yeah. So you would not recommend this to everyone? I wouldn't recommend thing, it. But... I wouldn't recommend it. Hey, we disagree. I love it. Finally. <laughs> Okay, I don't know why you hate Nigeria. I okay, don't. let's move on. <laughs> well, thank you, readers. We did it. We're through another episode. We made at it. At one o'clock in the morning after being stranded at the gas station. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. Uh, what are we reading next week? Rebecca! Yay! Are you going to read it? It's a little thicker than nope. I thought. I'm going to find like one of the after e-books. this vacation. <laughs> Oh, you go. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, you go to audiobooks. Audiobooks. Finally, come to the dark side. Although I rarely listen to audiobooks, I'm never disappointed when I do. Good for you. Good for you, girl. Um, so yeah, we're gonna read Rebecca. There's a Hitchcock movie based on it, so maybe we'll do a bonus episode where we review the movie too. That'll be fun. Yeah, that'd be great. Again, Let Society is brought to you by Alexis Sanaria and Kari Herrera. Listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast providers starting in 2020. 
If you like what you've heard today, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com to sign up for the world's best free newsletter. And until next time, read something and read something more.